Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Hey church, how we doing? Good, good. Okay, I need you all to do me a favor, okay? First service was real quiet, like there was zero energy in there. So I need you to be better than that, okay? So can we try this one more time? Hey, how we doing, church? There we go. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Let's close with that. I don't think you're going to get much more lively. So um, I'm Peter. I'm the senior pastor here. Super happy to be here. Um, uh, Contrary to the shirt I'm wearing, I am the pastor, not a lumberjack. Um, Someone asked me about that earlier, um, and I took offense to it. Um, But... Um, just again, I want to celebrate what was done over the course of the last two days at IF Gathering with you ladies who were here. Um, from everything I heard, um, things went really, really well. People were blessed. Um, so big thank you to uh, Chanel Longmire, who leads up our women's ministry team, and that whole team and everybody who was here and all the little pieces. Yeah, give them a round of applause. Um, really, really cool. And so, guys, here's the deal. So for our next men's event, I just want to make you aware of this, Okay. I think our decor needs to be greater than the plastic tablecloths that we set out last time and we called it a day because this room looked like the Enchantment Under the Sea dance from Back to the Future. So anyway, it was awesome. Uh, but we got to move on. We are in 1 Peter chapter 4, so you can flip open to 1 Peter 4 if you have your Bibles or you can click there um, on, your, on your phones. And if you've been tracking with us, you probably know that largely we have been looking at this theme of identity, who we are. And so as we live uh, according to the way that Christ wants us to live, our identity, the decisions that we make, the the interactions that we have, all those things should be shaped by our Christian faith and our Christian faith alone. Nothing else. It doesn't matter your politics. It doesn't matter your uh, familial duties. It matters. None of that matters. Everything should be shaped by uh, your identity and your identity in Christ. And so Peter today is going to get into the why of why he has been saying all of these things. Because over and over and over again, he's been reminding these exiled, not exiled, these, these persecuted Christians in Asia Minor that, hey, you are, you are Christ's. You, that is your identity. That is who you are. He actually says in chapter 2 that you are indeed a, a royal priesthood. You have been drawn by Christ drawn by the Spirit to Jesus to live an eternity in heaven with our Creator. Like He continues to go back to this idea of who we are. And now he's going to get to the how it is that we are supposed to live out that identity. So we're going to start in verse 7. We're going to get there um, in just, uh, just a second. Um, but really, he keeps going back to the way that these Christians handle themselves, these persecuted Christians, these actions that they take. It affects who is and, and who is not willing to come into the kingdom. It affects who is and who is not willing to come and enter into a conversation with Jesus because their lives ultimately should be a reflection of what it is they believe. And the same thing should be true for us. Actually, for us in a modern context, people more so now, I believe, than ever value a person who is authentic. For the most part, like if you think about it, uh, if someone is authentic, you know what you are going to get all of the time because they are authentic to who it is that they say that they are. Let me tell you why I think this is important. We are all so inundated 
with this idea of like polish and others uh, projecting this ideal life, oftentimes via social media, where we compare other people's highlight reel to the, you know, how, how mundane our lives can seem at times, that, that oftentimes we get this, this like false sense of reality that compared to what is actually happening. There's actually this entire subculture of social media that is doing their best to show the, the Instagram life versus what is actually real. They would show things that they would post to social media and then show what the reality is of that post. And so really we can project an image based on how it is we want other people to view us, especially when it comes to online. So this idea of authenticity, I think, is more important now than ever with the rise of technology and with the rise of social media. And so I know in my life, one of the things that I very much want to be true of me is that I would be the same person as I am on stage, as I would be in my office, as I would be in a group setting with Christians, non-Christians, and especially even by myself. I want to be the same person all of the time. But I tell you, there was a time in my life where I was, uh, I, I, I tried to live inauthentically on purpose. I know you guys are like, whoa, what's the dirt? Not, not that much dirt, okay? Uh, when I was a youth pastor, okay, there were numerous instances where um, I would intentionally try to hide the fact that I was a youth pastor. And, and here's why. Because I got really, really weird looks all of the time. Okay, like, for example, we were doing a game, as only youth pastors would do, that was called the Fast Food Olympics. Okay? It was over when I was in Selma. And each week, we chose a different fast food restaurant to participate in different Olympic competitions with. Right? Sounds like a great idea. So there's this one time when I was going through Taco Bell's drive-thru, and I decided that, yeah, I was that guy. I went through the drive-thru, and I ordered 80 items, 8-0 items in the drive-thru. People weren't super happy with me. I ordered 40 bean burritos and 40 crunchy tacos right? Standard thing that you would need for a youth group game, right? Okay, good. All of you are like, what is, where is he going with this story? So I get up to the window, and I got the same look over and over and over again. Like, why, why are you, like, what is the point? Uh, why are you buying something like this? What are you buying this much fast food for? Surely there's a cheaper and obviously healthier way for you to be able to feed whoever it is you were feeding, but it's always a weird conversation to say, well, we're climbing up on the church roof and we're going to throw them at targets on the lawn, right? My guess is they probably wouldn't have cared as much about the bean burritos they were making if I told them that's what we were using them for rather than eating. I actually asked Jeff just a second ago backstage. I said, Jeff, what was the weirdest purchase you ever made as a youth pastor? Oh, he goes, two solids and a liquid, hands down. I'm like, what? What's two solids and a liquid? He said, you make a wheel and you put a bunch of solid food on it and some liquid food on it and they have to spin the wheel and you put the solid food in and then you put the liquid food in the blender and you blend it up and then they have to drink it. It's like, what's the prize? No prize, they just have to drink it. It's like, all right, cool. Just wanna make sure we're all on the same page. But like that authentic life is, I mean, it was weird for me, right? Because I, I wanted to kind of be like inconspicuous, but at the same time, there's these actions that are pointing people to who my identity actually is at the time. But I want to live that authentic life. And in order to do that, you have to know what your values are. You have to know what you believe, and you have to live those things out on a very consistent basis. And I don't think we're good at that as a society. And because of that, Christians in the room, 
we've largely lost our ability to effectively communicate the gospel with our lives because we are no longer trusted as being authentic. As a matter of fact, we're actually trusted with the opposite of what we are being. We're actually more often called hypercritical rather than being authentic. And that's damaging to the gospel. So how is it that we continue to become more authentic people as we do our best to be more like Jesus every day? Because it has to be that second part too, right? You can't just say, hey, I'm going to be my authentic self. And then you end up being your authentic self and your authentic self is actually being a jerk and being nothing like Jesus. Like that's not helpful. And I've heard those conversations before and you've heard those conversations before. You're like, you know what? That's just who I am. I'm not going to change. Sorry. You just kind of got to deal with it. It's like, hold up. That's not what scripture actually says. Scripture tells us that as you are saved, you are sealed by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit then comes into your life and you become more holy every day as you choose to live more like Christ every single day. So the idea that that's just who I is is straight out the window, as simple as that. So we need to live authentically as we claim to live. So if you call yourself a Christian, that means everything in that Bible that you're holding open now, waiting for me to get to 1 Peter chapter 4, Everything that it says in there is true or should be true of you and your identity. And so Peter talks about identity a lot for the first three chapters. And he finally tells us what it is we need to do in order to, be, to, to identify with Christ. And I want to tell you, you heady people in the room who are help, hoping to learn some massive theological concept today. Not going to happen. Okay. Today, I am not appealing to your brain. Today, I'm appealing to your heart and your spirit because these things are basic tenets of faith. These are things that all of us should be doing, but church, we have failed to do them consistently. And so if we do not do them and we do not do them better, then there's an entire world who will have either no clue that you're a Christian or will misunderstand what Christianity actually means in people's lives. So let's read through it. It starts in chapter 7 and verse 4. It says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and, sober, and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks with the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So let's go back and break this entire thing down a little bit. Because before this, in verses 1 through 6, which we're not going to cover in detail today, um, he tells these believers in Asia Minor that Jesus has set an example for us in dying to himself. Okay, well, how has he done that? Great. We all know that Easter is coming in two weeks. Well, actually, two days, three days before Easter on that Friday, good Friday, that's when Jesus died to himself. He willingly submitted himself to a plan that God had for him to redeem all of humanity. So all of us could be in heaven with God at some point. So we would be redeemed, restored. We are purchased and bought with a price, the blood of Jesus. And so Jesus dies to himself that day. He dies to his own will, right? Actually, the night before that he dies when he's praying in the garden and, you know, sweat and blood are coming out of his pores and all of that stuff. He says, God, if you can take this cup from me, take it. But if not, 
not my will be done, but your will be done. Dying to himself, submitting to what God would have for him. And so that's the same thing that Peter is talking about here in verses 1 through 6, that Jesus has set an example. And as we then suffer in this life, or as we are persecuted in this life, he says, hey, die to yourself. You need to do what God wants you to do, meaning that you need to be willing to become more holy. You need to submit for his, to his will for your life, that we should be done with sin. And as we die to our sin, we die to the desires of our flesh, we'll be more apt to do the will of God. And then Peter goes on to tell him, he keeps going, he says, hey, you, you've spent enough time with debauchery, you've spent enough time with sin, and because you live justly and because you live upright and holy lives, assuming your identity is in Christ, Christian, then all of these non-believers will actually be confused as to why you don't join in on the sin. And there's a nice little fun list of the sins there in verses 5 and 6 that you can read through. He says, hey, look, you should be done with that, Christian, because you should die to yourself in the same way that Christ was willing to, to, to submit to God. He was willing to die to his desires. And so he says all these things and continues to talk about identity, and then he gets to the, this turn here in verse 7a, where it says, the end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. It sets up, actually, the rest of this portion of Scripture. You'll see this little word that's going to come after it. It says, therefore. Okay, so everything that follows that therefore is because of the fact that the end of all things is near. Now, we are Christians, and because of this early 2000s movement towards the Left Behind series and the apocalypse and, you know, all of those different things that Jesus was going to come back, and he's gonna, we are fascinated with all things end times. You know, this wasn't actually true of the church for the vast majority of Christian history. Actually, it's only started, we really started getting into end times literature in the 19th and 20th centuries. And what happened was, and, and actually we have a couple groups going through, uh, a couple of our small groups are going through the book of, of Revelation right now. And I got an opportunity to actually sit down and talk with one of the groups because they're like, hey, we heard about this and rapture and millennial. And like all of these different, like what does all of this mean? And so what happens is we tend to get so caught up in what we think is going to happen or trying to predict the future, and, but what does this mean? And what's a dragon? And what's a, as all, of these all of this imagery that happens in the book of Revelation that oftentimes what happens is we forget about the fact that that is going to happen regardless. We need to focus now on the things that we are supposed to focus on. And Peter says, hey, the end of all things is near. Therefore, do all of these things. And even though I know the way this reads, we're kind of like, well, the end of all things, man. If I'm being honest, when I read things like this, at the end of all things is near, I question the Bible. And maybe you're like me because you're like, hold on, it says the end of all things is near, but Peter, last I checked, wrote this 2,000 years ago. And here we are in 2022, and it kind of looks the same as it did back then. There's some Christians who are feeling a little bit persecuted. There's some people who feel like society has kind of turned their back on them. And every single year we say the same thing, right? Man, society continues to go to hell in a handbasket. It's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. But the same sins are always true. 
Everything, nothing has changed. There is nothing new under the sun, as Scripture tells us, right? And so we're like, hold on, how, how can Peter say that the end of all things is near when we're 2,000 years later and the end still seems just as far away now as it did back then? Well, if we were to read this in context, Peter, what he is actually saying at this point is everything that we need to understand salvation, everything that needed to happen for man to be reconciled to God forever is now done. And so because of the fact that it is now done, Jesus could then come back at any time. Don't think of it as a timeline. More of, hey, this happened, and so we are on the other side of this. So it could happen at any point. It could happen like right now. And it's worth a shot. But it did it, right? Like, so we don't know when it's going to happen. It's like that moment in time. And so now forevermore, we should live like Jesus is going to come back any, at any point. The end of all things is near is how this really is read. And so because of the fact that Jesus could come back at any time, how is it, Christian, that we are supposed to live now? Not when, you know, is the rapture going to happen or what, you know. Those are important questions, and we should ask them and have those conversations. But if all we do is focus on what is going to happen and we forget about the now and the immediate, we are doing the kingdom of God a disservice. So he goes on to say, these are the things that you should do. Verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. This is going to shock some of you guys, okay? What should Christians do when Jesus, when we think that Jesus is going to come back? Pray, okay? Everybody write that down. Don't forget it, okay? And that's what, like, like this, that's what I'm saying about this message. This message is not breaking any new ground for the vast majority of you. Maybe there's some new people in here like, okay, that's good for me to understand. But for most of us, we understand what it is that we are asked to do. It's not a head knowledge issue for us. It's a heart knowledge. Is this actually playing out into our lives? Are we actually being authentic with the things that Scripture has asked us to do? So this says, because all things have been completed for the redemption of man, okay, the end of all things is near. So because of that, and Jesus could come back at any moment, you should spend your time praying. And I get it. It doesn't seem hard. But let's look at it more from maybe a, a more like boots on the ground viewpoint. Because if you're like me, prayer is one of the most difficult of my spiritual disciplines to be able to do. Because for me, if I'm, you know, cards completely on the table here, if you're, if you're me, it feels oftentimes counterproductive because I'm a type A person. I have my lists. I want to fix things. I want to get things done. And you're telling me the most important thing is to sit down and not get things done right now? That's what you're telling me with prayer? Like, if it's not on my to-do list, I don't do it, right? Like, that's just the way that I'm And So it's difficult for me sometimes to see the value in stopping and sitting when there's a whole bunch of stuff that I could start doing already, God. Why would I, why would I not start doing that stuff? And so that's hard. So maybe, maybe that's, that's true of you, of you too, because it feels like no progress is being made, and, and it probably is due to a, a lack of faith on my part. Well, I know it's due to a lack of faith. On my part, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts here in a second. One of my spiritual gifts is not faith. 
And it's allowed if you're a pastor, by the way. If some of you are like, hold up, that's not one of your spiritual gifts, no. I have faith, but it is not a spiritual gift. So the thought of, a thought of really stopping whatever I'm doing to sit in the, in the presence of God and pray for resolution of things that are on my heart is, is hard for me. And there are times where I feel like stopping to pray feels like a waste of time because it seems like sometimes in that moment that no progress is being made. But anytime I, I, I take time to pray and allow God to go before me, to energize me, to ask for wisdom, to ask for, for clarity, there's never a time when he hasn't come through and I haven't thought on the other side, yep, that was worth it. That was worth it. Our staff meetings on Tuesdays, all of the prayer requests that you guys submit, there's a portion you can submit, online prayer requests. We get people who just talk to us, you know, out in the lobby. We get prayer requests from over here. We get prayer requests from people calling the church office, all those different places. So we, we pray over all of those on Tuesday morning. And just this, this last week, two weeks ago, I apologize, two weeks ago, we were praying for, for one of the prayer requests, and my, my, my prayer was that it would be nothing. I said, God, please let this be absolutely nothing. Wednesday night, rolls around, have a conversation. It was absolutely nothing. And it was incredible for me to see that, right? Because so often I think to myself, why are we doing this? This is a waste of time. Like we have more important things to do. We've got lists to accomplish. We've got people to call. We've got events to plan. Let's go. And Jesus is like, hold up. You're forgetting about the fact that I can work miracles and you can do nothing apart from me. So sit down, shut up, and start with prayer. And that's difficult for me to do. And so, like, it has to be a practice and a routine. When we start meetings here, we pray. When I'm preparing to write messages, I pray. When I have to make a hard decision, I start with prayer. Why? Because even though it may seem counterproductive, it is literally the most I can do. I'm bringing God into this conversation to allow me to live a life that is more authentic to the Christian faith. Because if I'm doing all of it apart from prayer, I look no different than the rest of the world looks. And so the way Peter even writes this here, the idea of having a sober mind when you pray, right? He says, have a clear and sober mind so you may pray. It kind of reads like... um, I would understand what it's praying for. Like we want to understand what it is that we are praying for before we actually pray. As I was reading through one of my Bible commentaries as I was preparing for this uh, message, it said it's kind of like reading the newspaper and praying for the things that are happening in the newspaper. So you understand what it is that you are supposed to pray for as you pray for those things. That's the goal of this. Because as I was reading is like, have a sober mind, like we're people back then in Asia Minor, like getting drunk and then praying, like why, why is this sober mind? No, understand what it is that you are supposed to be praying for so then you can pray more effectively. So am I then clear-minded enough to pray for the things that are really on my heart and really affecting me in some way? And oftentimes I'm not because I am terrible at just sitting still and letting God work. One of our kids is great at this though. Um, I won't tell you his name. I didn't ask for his permission to share, but um, uh, we, we do like a, a standard dinner prayer, right, where we all say the same thing every time, and it's lost all of its meaning, right? Anybody? Yeah. Okay. So 
And then after that prayer, I always ask one of the boys to then actually pray, right? And so there's one of our kids every single time. He says his standard, like, God, thank you so much for, you know, my parents. He always starts with his parents. Um, and then uh, he says, thank you for my family. And then he'll take a beat. He'll take a pause. And you'll hear it in his voice. He goes, and then he shares the burdens that are on his heart. He talks about the things that are going on in his life. He talks about the things that are going on in our family's life. He talks about the things that are going on in people's lives that we know about. And it's this like authentic, genuine prayer because he understands that burden. He has way more empathy than I have. God bless him. I'm so thankful he got that from his mom because none was coming from me. And it was absolutely incredible to be able to see like what that, what that should actually look like for a Christian to stop and pray and to learn that from one of my kids is absolutely humbling. And so then he goes on, First Peter, Peter, he goes on in verse 8, and the next thing he says that we should do because of the fact that Jesus is about to come back and set up his kingdom at any time is really earth-shattering for us. He tells us that Christians should love. I know, shocker. Verse 8, he says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. It even goes a little bit further into verse 9 where it says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And this isn't about Christian to non-believer. This, isn't, this is Christian to Christian. Love one another. So actually, you know, other places in the gospel where it says, hey, they will know that you are Christians by your love. It's talking about how they love one another. It's talking about how they love their Christian community. It's not directed at the rest of the world. And this is a way towards not just living authentic faith, this is a way towards living in authentic community as well, is loving each other well. And too often, Christians, community, churches, especially churches who have been around for a really, really long time, can can be known more for backbiting, for gossip and power grabs than, than loving one another deeply. And it really is a shame to be able to see it. A lot of churches tend to not understand why they can't get any sort of growth. Why, why, man, why, how come nobody comes to our church anymore or anything like that? It's hard because you look at the church from the outside looking in, you're like, that's a toxic culture. I wouldn't want to be a part of that culture. I wouldn't want to be a part of people who are constantly mad at each other or they're taking prayer requests, but more often it's a gossip hotline. That's why one of the reasons that I have a hard time oftentimes with, uh, with uh, prayer chains is I'm like, okay, it's good as long as we're praying, like we're actually praying for people while we're not using it just to tell the next person the issues that the other person has. Yeah, it bothers me oftentimes because we're supposed to be marked by our love. And I get it, right? Like some of, you, some of you, man, God bless you, you sit in the same seat every single week. Any of you? Any of you? Yeah, I know some of you. Yeah, some of you even raised your hands. Yeah, I know the Kennedys are always going to be back over there in that corner. Yeah, I know the miners are going to sit underneath that light right over there. They always do. I can see Brian's head. No offense, Brian. Okay. But I know for the most part where most of you are going to sit. And churches that are unhealthy and churches that can be toxic because they don't love one another well. I've seen churches and talked to pastors where brand new people who will come to church never once stepped foot in the building before. And someone will walk up to them and say, excuse me, you're in my seat. You need to move. I know. I hate it. And some of you are like down here like this, like, shoot, that was me. I said that. 
Right, but that's a toxic culture. That's not a healthy culture. We are supposed to be known and marked by our love. And man, the, if the most loving thing you have to do for somebody is scooch down two seats, that's a pretty low bar. Like that's not difficult to be able to do that. But churches, for some reason, we have a difficult time understanding that, that lo- like just loving one another and being countercultural. Like that's how we are countercultural. That's how we're marked differently because we shouldn't be in it for our own, like, like our own pleasure. We shouldn't be in it just for ourselves or our own egos or anything like that. So in order for us to love well, we have to ensure that we are being authentic to the kingdom of God and loving others becomes much easier because we're no longer than doubting people's intentions. We recognize that they are doing these things or they're doing specific things because they love Jesus, they love the community of believers, they love their church, whatever it may look like. And I'll tell you what, there's some meetings where people come to my office and I am so excited to meet with them because all they want to do is love their community well. All they want to do is figure out how they can serve other people well. And I'm like, man, you love your church, and, and they're great at, like, loving our staff and loving the pastors and, and loving, loving everybody, and they're stepping up in every single way they can imagine just to love people better, and I love meetings like that. And then there's other meetings that I don't love. There's meetings when I know someone is going to come in, and they simply have an ax to grind. And not necessarily because they disagree with me. I'm happy to disagree with you. As long as you do it because you love Jesus and you don't do it because you're trying to build your own personal empire. And those are hard, difficult conversations to be able to have. And when I don't see the love of God on people, when I don't see the fact that all they want to do is love people to the best of their ability, and I don't think they have that intention, that becomes difficult. And that's when people become concerned with stroking their own ego more than anything else. And it's not okay. That's unhealthy. So Christians, we should love. Write that down. <laughs> Commit it to memory. After you spend time in prayer, that is the next thing that you should do. And then he finishes by saying, Christians should serve. Mind-blowing this morning. It's almost like you could have walked in and read the words on our wall that says, love God, love people, and serve the world, and walked right out. Because that's ultimately, this is what he says in verses 9 through 11. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's part of that love piece. So don't, don't bring over a casserole and then cuss at them on your way over or on your way out. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I want to concentrate for just a second as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Stewarding something means you're in charge of it. It means you're managing it. It means it's your responsibility to make sure that, that, that it moves and grows, right, in the same day, way that you would steward your money or steward your house or steward your calendar or steward your whatever responsibility that you have. And so it says here that we are faithful stewards of God's grace. It's our responsibility to steward the grace of God. Well, how do we do that? Well, it's in its various forms. It says in verse 11, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God, not man, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I know, right? I'm blown away by these these concepts today. 
But again, it isn't, isn't your brain I'm appealing to. It's your heart. That, like if, if you are living a life that is inauthentic, life that is not marked by prayer, not, life that is not marked by love, a, pr- a life that is not marked by service, and you call yourself a Christian, if you don't call yourself a Christian, man, take, take a seat. You can judge us all you want from the outside looking in. But I'm talking to those of you in here who have said, yes, I am a Christian, and your life does not line up with these principles that Peter is writing to these Christians here. He's saying, hey, if you're a Christian, this is kind of the bare minimum. Pray, love, and serve. That's kind of, that's, that's kind of, kind of it. And he says we should serve according to the gifts that you have been given. So, quick, quick sidebar, when you have a saving faith in Christ... Okay, maybe you've made a profession of faith. The Holy Spirit has come inside your heart, has come, not your beating heart, come inside you, right? And you are sealed now forever. That's what we believe in that idea of once saved, always saved. We talked about that a couple weeks ago when we went through the creed. Okay, and so, so the Holy Spirit comes inside. But not just that, the Holy Spirit also gives you spiritual gifts. He gives you ways for you to steward God's grace in a number of different ways. And spiritual gifts aren't just like things that you're, you're good at. They, that, that's part of it, but like baseball is not a spiritual gift. As much as I would like it to be and as much as I would want that spiritual gift, like it is not a spiritual gift. God gives us all of these different, the Holy Spirit rather, gives us all of these different giftings for us to be able to be stewards of God's grace, to pour out grace onto other people, whether that be inside the church or outside the church. If you don't know, if you want like a full comprehensive list of spiritual gifts, you want to read a little bit more about it, 1 Corinthians, go through the book of 1 Corinthians. It has all of the spiritual gifts lined up. But maybe, maybe I'm just going to, I can give you a quick, quick overview of the spiritual gifts. You're not going to have time to write them down unless you're really, really fast at writing or write in cursive, which I won't be able to read. Okay, administration, okay, being an apostle, oftentimes it's called pastor, um, discernment, evangelism, exhortation, faith, giving, healing, helps, hospitality, knowledge, leadership, mercy, prophecy, serving, speaking in tongues, teaching, and wisdom. That's the list. And there's a couple variations on it. There's a couple different words that are used, and they're kind of, kind of interchangeable. But every single believer has been gifted with spiritual gifts, not just so they can be more awesome as an individual. So all of you who have that spiritual gift of administration, congrats on getting your taxes done on time. Congrats on your car registration being turned in before the month turns over. Like, congrats on doing all of those things. That's not what the spiritual gift is for. So do me a favor, make me feel better about myself, and turn in something late. But that's not what they're for. They're for, it says they're for the building up of the body of Christ. That's what spiritual gifts are for, for building up of the body so that people would know that we are marked by Jesus and the spirit of God would live completely and we, like, we would be authentically as faithful as we can possibly be as servants of God. And I know there are many of you who are in here who have used your gifts and continue to use these gifts on a regular basis. But I also know there's some of you in here who have simply put your gifts on the shelf for a while. And I get it. Like, we've been through busy seasons in life before. We've had young kids before. Like, we get there is a time to put your gifts on the maybe not put your gifts on the shelf, but put serving on the shelf for a period. But I also know there's others in here who have just kind of let them stay on the shelf. 
and haven't really started back up yet. And maybe it's because you feel disenfranchised. Maybe it's because you feel like, oh, they don't have a spot for me to serve or the thing that I want to do isn't going to help the church in some way or whatever it may be. I'm going to make it really, really easy for those of you in here who maybe you haven't started serving and maybe this message is the one where you're like, okay, yeah, I pray, I love, but man, I'm, I don't serve well, or at least I'm not using my spiritual gifts to serve the body in any way. If that's you and you're like, you know what, I, 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 need, to, I need to at least dip my toe into the pool. I don't want to commit long term yet. Just let me figure out where it is that maybe I will fit. Great news. I'll make this really, really easy for you. Okay? Maybe your next step is simply to help us out on Easter. You know, on Easter, our goal is to have over 700 people on our campus. That's a lot of people. And this room's going to be totally full of, like, kids with, like, neon sticks and glowing eggs, and it's going to be crazy, and it's going to be, like, all pointing at Jesus, and it's an extravaganza because apparently we just do puns now for names. And that's part of it, but then we're also going to have a whole bunch of people out here, a whole bunch of people who are going to show up hungry and not yet caffeinated. Okay, people who, hey, I want a cinnamon roll and I want some coffee and I just don't, no one talk to me until that's the case. So like we need your help because normally on a weekend we're around 400 or so on campus and that's great, but that means we're going to have almost two times as many people here as we normally do, which means we need help with volunteers. And the interesting thing about Easter and Christmas is that there are more people here on this campus who do not have a saving faith in Christ than any other time, save maybe Mother's Day. And maybe it is as simple for, get the, for, for, for them to understand the love of God, for them to understand and hear the gospel as making as, as easy as it is for them to come onto campus. Maybe you don't want to talk to anybody because you haven't had all your coffee yet. That's fine. Like, we need people to help with parking. Because like I said, our goal is to have 700 people here. Or maybe you, all you want to do is talk to people. Great. Stay really far away from me and we'll make you a greeter, okay? Like there are options. We have babies who need to be held. We have people. We, like we have cinnamon rolls that need to be baked because I don't trust Jeff to do all of those, right? Like there's a whole bunch. I'm just kidding. He's a great baker. We have all of those options. We have a ton of options and we need help. So if you, maybe you're, you're not scheduled to serve anywhere that weekend or you haven't yet served, Okay, we're going to make it real easy for you. There's a number on the screen. I feel like a salesman right now. There's a number on the screen for four easy payments of $19.90. No. All you have to do, text the word Easter to that number. Okay? Write it down. I don't even need you to text right now. Or if you're bored with my sermon, you want to text right now, I don't care. Go ahead. Okay? And Jeff will contact you in the next two days. He'll get you plugged into where your gifting would work specifically for our Easter service. If you're already serving somewhere, great. Thank you. Thank you for using your gifts to serve the body of Christ in a really great way. But the reality is it isn't just that we need warm bodies welcoming people or, you know, holding babies or whatever. It's because in order for us to live a life that shows that Jesus could come back at any time and to live completely and totally authentically to our faith, to the word of God, we should be serving, not simply sitting here and taking That's not what church is about. Not simply showing up and asking the question, what is church going to do for me today? Or I really hope Pastor Peter has a really good message today. Or man, I really hope that they play my favorite song. And if they don't, I'm going to be pretty upset about it. 
Well, I really hope Jeff is funny during announcements. I really hope one of you says that. I don't know if that's true or not. But that's oftentimes the way we approach church, and that's what the church has gotten wrong over the course of the last 50 years. We think that the goal of church is solely for our own edification, solely for us to come and get fed like we exist for you and for you alone. And granted, part of it is for, for the, you know, the building up of the saints to be able to do ministry. Like, I, I get that. And part of it's a, a messaging issue. From the stage, we say, hey, you should get into a small group because if you're in a small group, it'll help you grow your faith. And so oftentimes what happens is people show up and they sit in a small group and they wait for the leader to do everything. Or they show up to church and they wait for the pastor to do everything. Like this isn't the Peter, Jeff, and Kyle show. That would be a really boring show to watch. This is the body of believers who are supposed to come together and edify and build one another up. And so the reality is that sometimes we should show up and, 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 and there are times when we simply need for someone to pour into our lives to remind us who we are, to be prayed for. But other times, you will show up to a group or you show up to an event and hear me, you may get nothing out of it except an opportunity to serve those people who need that love and encouragement that we just talked about. See, so often we come to church, we come to small groups, we come to these different things and think, what am I going to get out of it? Rather than thinking to ourselves, what is it, how is it that I can bless somebody else in the midst of that? We've got a messaging issue. Because it's not just our responsibility, it's all of your responsibility as well. Church, the stakes are too high because Jesus could come back, like Peter says, at any minute. And there's an entire world who needs to know Jesus. And church, if we're not praying, if we're not loving, if we're not serving, we're going to miss them. The church is God's plan A for the world. You are God's plan A for the entire world. And so if we can't even get these things right, these really basic tenets of Christianity, we're in a world of hurt. So the good news is today we're going to take an opportunity. It's the first Sunday of the month, so we, we receive communion. So if you didn't receive communion elements on your way in, you can just put your hand up. Uh, we got Dave in the back. He'll take care of you. Keep your hand up nice and high. And normally during communion, oftentimes we talk uh, about, you know, communing with God, and I want you to do that. But as we also talk about this idea of living authentic lives, living lives that are going to be marked by, by Christ's identity in us, by God's word to us, by his Holy Spirit living in a very real way in our lives. I want you to think about and ponder where the inauthenticity is lying in your heart. Where is it that you are not being authentic? Maybe it's at home, or maybe that's the most authentic place you are, and you're putting a facade when you're at work or church or small group or wherever. But if someone walked in, regardless of where you were and regardless of who you were with, would you still be okay having that conversation out in the open? And if the answer is no to different situations, you're living inauthentically somewhere. And the world is watching. And the world needs to be able to understand what it looks like to follow Jesus in a very real way. We believe in an open table here. 
at FBH. That's a theological term. It just means that you don't have to be a member of our church to partake in communion with us, but you do need to be a follower of Christ. And so maybe today you're like, I've been living inauthentically. I can't live without Jesus. I need Jesus in my life. And I've never said that for the first time. We would love to pray with you in just a second. And we would love for you to take your first communion with us today. But my guess is more so than anything, is there are people in here who are living lives of inauthenticity. But you're not seeking out prayer. Maybe you're not loving well. Maybe you're not serving well. I don't know where it is. But the person that you're out, you are this morning in church maybe looks drastically different than the person that you're gonna be an hour from now or tomorrow morning at work. I don't know what it is, but I would ask that as we go into prayer in just a second, that you would really ponder that as the band plays. So why don't you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for what you do for us. We thank you that you sent your son. We're thankful that you sent us your word. And God, I pray that we would live lives of authenticity, that the same people that we are now would be the same people that we are on Monday morning, would be the same people that we are with our spouses, with our kids. When we're competing in different arenas, or especially when we're sitting by ourselves, maybe in front of a television or a computer. God, the same people that we are today would echo that forever. And then it wouldn't just be, be living our own truth or, or, or living how we feel most comfortable, but God, that it would be living according to your word, that we would, uh, we would continue to find our identity in your word and we would be authentic Christians. Meaning that we would be authentic to your definition of Christian and not our own. And Father, I don't know, maybe there's people here this morning who have not yet said, yes, I want that moniker Christian. I want, to, I want that identity in my life. And if that's you, please take this opportunity, pray along with me, make a profession of faith in your life for the first time, or maybe it's the 50th because you need to re-up with God because you're living a life that's not authentic. You can simply say, hey, Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior, that I've fallen away from you. And I admit that. And God, I repent of that sin. I want to turn away from that sin. And I want to do that because B, I believe that you sent your son to die on a cross for me, that he willingly died to his own will, submitted himself to you so that we could be with you forever. I believe he conquered that death. We just get to celebrate in a couple weeks. So thank you for that, Father. And see that we would choose to follow you every single day of our lives. And God, that's what it means for us to live authentically. That we would wake up and say yes to you. That we wouldn't be hypocrites. That we would be authentic. Father, move and stir in us. Show us the blind spots that we can't yet see. Allow your spirit to shine a light on those cobwebs that maybe we're holding on to sin too tightly somewhere those spaces where we're not authentically Christian. God, move in our hearts now. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.